0: beginning my name is Lucy Honno I am with RC Spirituality and I have had the joy of working virtually with Father Nicola since uh, 2015 and many of you are familiar um, to Father Nicola as parishioners perhaps at St. Brendan's he's the associate pastor there at St. Brendan's in Cumming Georgia and has been a contributor with RC Spirituality since 2015 and currently manages our online classroom we fully take advantage of his academic uh, knowledge and progress. So, Father Nicola, before you joined RC Spirituality in 2015, where were you and, and what were you doing?
1: Well, that could be potentially a very long story, but, <laughs> um, well, before I was working in RC Spirituality, I was actually stationed in Rome at the time, and I started working in RC Spirituality uh, in 2015 because uh, after six years, i had finished my doctoral dissertation. So uh, the doctoral dissertation uh, absorbed a lot of my time in terms of resources. Uh, It was basically, imagine a writing project where you're basically focusing on it in every spare moment you can spare for six years. There were so many other writing projects that were bubbling around in me. And that's one of this, this book is one of the fruits of that, that once my doctoral dissertation was done, I was trying to find other outlets um, to start writing for RC spirituality or other outlets as well. So at the time, I was, had already been teaching um, theology at a university, a pontifical university under the direction of the legionaries in Rome called Regina Apostolorum, Queen of the Apostles. I was teaching ecclesiology there since 2012. And then before that, I was actually teaching in the United States uh, one year at a school of theology in Thornwood, New York, uh, and then two years at Mater Ecclesiae College in Greenville. So my main focus was um, academic uh, as a professor, but during that initial period as well, I was also a uh, chaplain. I was a chaplain for two years when I was in Rhode Island for Overbrook Academy. Um, and basically working on my doctoral dissertation and giving classes. Before that, uh, I was studying, preparing for the priesthood, obviously. Uh, I started, uh, my legionary formation in Cheshire, Connecticut for two years. And then I went to Rome and did philosophy. Then I lived in the Southeast for a couple of years, helping a priest doing youth work, uh, mostly in Florida and Louisiana. And then after that, I returned to Rome and I finished my theology. And by the time ordination to the diaconate got close, then I started kind of getting put on the track of working in the university. And I still go one semester a year to, uh, to teach class at Regina Apostolorum in Rome.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're happy you're on this side now, um, back in, in the States and uh, so that we can keep you busy. I know that it's been a long time coming that you have put together this book and I know when we were looking at publishing it, uh, you know, we had this date in mind for a little time and we, we really wouldn't have known that we'd be in these extraordinary circumstances of not being able to have uh, access as frequently as we have become accustomed to to being able to attend mass. So at first we kind of thought, well, oh, should we be publishing a book right now right in the middle of uh, what seems to be quite a a challenge and a difficult moment and uh, we really kind of understood that perhaps this is the best time to actually be taking a moment to reflect more deeply on the very thing that we're missing to kind of uh, in a certain way kind of renew our appreciation for the mass so I wanted to first of all ask you um, can you just tell us a little bit more about like what inspired you or what kind of moved you to write this book like how did how did the whole theme of writing a book Um, On the mass. uh, What was the inspiration and what was the story behind uh, how that came about?
1: Well, the beautiful thing about this project is it's basically Was kind of my introduction into working into RC spirituality at all, which has been a very good experience for me I'm working on other projects in RC spirituality now but um, when I first approached RC spirituality, it was more on my initiative because I had heard of the work that R.C. Spirituality was doing, and I thought it could contribute actually a blog of reflections on the liturgical prayers. And that was the fruit, actually, of one day in Mass uh, in Rome. I was celebrating just a private Mass. I mean, the faithful weren't there. Sometimes we say Mass by ourselves. And it just occurred to me, uh, the original title uh, when these reflections were being written sort of in blog form for about two and a half years was Finding the Plug. And that was simply because it occurred to me that uh, when you you know look at it, the modern devices today, like you look at cell phones or things like that, they have all these different ways of establishing a connection and communicating, right? You've got your plugs, you've got your headphones, you got your USB, you've got Bluetooth and all those things. And it occurred to me that the liturgy is kind of the same, but you gotta figure out how to plug into it. You gotta figure out how to establish that connection. You have to figure out how to do that communication. And the liturgy, believe it or not, actually communicates on many levels. Um, our spoken prayers and things like that, okay, yes, you know, the readings happen. We hear prayers. We make responses. There's that verbal communication. But it also communicates us to us on all these other levels as well. I mean, the colors that we use for the liturgical seasons, the various uh, special rites and things during certain times of the year, the liturgical seasons, all those things like that. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be beautiful to try and help share with people all the um, richness of the liturgy that I'd been learning about through my studies? Because once I finished my bachelor's in theology, when I was doing my licentiate studies, which licentiate is kind of a, it's kind of a beefed up master's degree. It gives you a little more um, authorization for teaching in ecclesial universities and things. So I was studying my licentiate And I pretty much focused on the liturgy during my licentiate. So I had studied, I'd always loved studying the liturgy from a theological point of view, but I also realized that it was a great source of spiritual reflections as well, and I wanted to share some of those. Now, not to be excluding or anything, obviously as a priest I do live it in a slightly different way, but I knew there were so many things that I could share with people from my own participation in the liturgy, that it would help them to get more of the liturgy as well to make that connection. And that's why little by little, um, as the blog was written, the blog was completed. I also started, um, publishing some of those reflections at St. Brendan the navigator, and I'm still publishing every couple of weeks in the bulletin. And that was when it kind of changed into maximizing the mass because since the second Vatican council, um, everything that has been done to reform the liturgy or to, and educate people about the liturgy has been a goal that sort of revolved around the buzzword active participation. And there might have been a moment where people just said active participation was talking about activity. But no, it's really about really trying to engage the liturgy, putting something into it and having an appreciation with it that you draw things out of it. So what I tried to do with that is, I went through all of the prayers of the mass that you would have in an ordinary uh, mass, you know, from start to finish, and just started doing spiritual reflections based on that to help people to get more out of mass. Mm-hmm. And little by little, I wrote that, as I said, over a period of about two and a half years. And then when I completed it, I said, well, obviously it can't just stay in blog form. I mean, we really need to put these reflections together in a book. And so i started working on the manuscript and rc spirituality was graciously gracious enough to help me with the copy editing and everything and this beautiful cover mm-hmm. i love the cover
0: and we um, had a good few rounds didn't we with yes. the, the name label. and
1: the name as well and that's why we we settled on maximizing the mass because we realized you know it's it's kind of funny i have to share with you is even myself once the book project came around i'm like finding the plug would just mystify people. I mean, I put in an explanation as the first installment of the blog, mm-hmm. but I realized, no, we had to find a better title. So it was really good. We did sort of brainstorming Lucy and I, and some of the other members of the RC spirituality team. And that's why it came to maximizing the mass. I mean, we, we kind of took a step back on that title at first. We're like, well, does that mean that you're like exploiting the mass? And I'm like, no, yes, of course you're exploiting the mass. Sacraments are not just signs. Mm -hmm. Sacraments are instruments. They're instruments of grace that communicate. So as instruments, they're meant to be used. So in a certain sense, maximizing the mass as a title is a way of saying, this is a resource to help you use your participation in the liturgy, use the liturgy, use the Eucharist better to draw more spiritual fruit out of it. Because really that's what the that was the whole goal in the second vatican council for example and afterwards with all the changes to the liturgy and things was to try and get people to not only put more into the liturgy but through porting more into the liturgy and engaging it more to get more out of it as well
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and even just the sub the subtitle of the book is very much um how do we live the liturgical prayer uh, with our heart and our mind, um, and not just knowing what's going on, but being able to really unite the heart into the whole mystery of which we're participating in. And I know at the beginning of the book, you do explain that this isn't an instruction manual mm-hmm. on what's necessarily happening at each step along the way. This is really an invitation to to enter more fully as kind of a more of a meditative um, walkthrough. So, do you want to share a little bit more about like how to what would be ways to can, use this book or delve into this book a little differently than just maybe um, kind of picking up a spiritual reading book and just kind of reading through it. Um, What might be a a way in which we can kind of use this book and how it might be a little bit different um, in the way that you kind of introduce ways of understanding better the mass.
1: Well, the interesting thing, I mean, it's kind of ironic. I I wouldn't say providential, but it's kind of ironic that it got published when it did. Because, like, in sort of the the instructions I put into the book at the start of it, I say, "This is not a book that you take into the parish on Sunday or daily mass if you do daily mass, and you're like juggling it with your missile during the mass and reading it it's really more designed to have uh, meditations on all the parts of the mass that you meditate at home on your own. And that's why, unfortunately, I know many people are living a Eucharistic fast right now that nobody would have imagined or expected. But for those of you who are interested in getting my book, I mean, it's an interesting moment where you can meditate a lot on the prayers that you say every time you participate in Mass so that when the circumstances in which we are living are over, um, you can go into Mass with a renewed ability to really engage in it. So that's really what I recommend with a book is um, is take it a little bit at a time, especially the first part is a, a meditative walk through the Mass from start to finish. Um, but you just take it a little bit at a time. You know, just take it from the beginning, from the entrance rites, the penitential rite, for example, mm-hmm. then the liturgy of the Word, and et cetera. Now, I also added other reflections on some of the other Eucharistic prayers that are not used um, at every Mass. Uh, There's one that's included in that meditative walk in the first part so that if you want to basically immerse yourself in spiritual reflections on the whole experience of one mass, you can. But those other Eucharistic prayers are so beautiful and they're such a treasury of prayers. There's so much, so many prayers, so many nuances going on in every Eucharistic prayer that um, it's a wonderful opportunity to draw a lot more spiritual fruit out of it as well. And then the last part of it consists of the prefaces. So some of the prefaces, for example, are very seasonal. You know, those the prefaces for Advent, the prefaces for Lent, prefaces for Easter. So um, you can take advantage of when those moments of the liturgical year come around and you want some reflections on that. Well, you can go look at the prefaces for Easter, for example, when Easter time is coming up. Um, Holy Week per se, uh, for example, right now, just for these three days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of Holy Week, the preface that we use is The Passion of the Lord, number two. And then all of last week, only time during the year that we use it, unless we use it for a vote of mass or something, was Passion of the Lord, uh, preface number one. So it's a way of really focusing on the liturgical time in which you're living. But then there's other prefaces as well that are for various occasions and needs. Um, When you lose somebody, for example, the prefaces for the dead, there are five or six prefaces for the dead. So meditations on death, but also especially on eternal life, because you know, as Catholics, we believe that death doesn't have the last word. Mm -hmm. So um, it also helps you to in certain occasions of your life to get some reflections out of those things. And that's, that's in the third part of the book. So I'm encourage. i sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Lucy. No,
0: no, finish your thought. And then I'll ask the question.
1: So that's what I encourage you to, to do that. This is a resource that you can, there's no rush to read all the way through it is just take it a little bit of time, take it a little bit at a time, Uh, I'd recommend starting with the first part of the book. Take it from start to finish. And then after meditating on that, the next time you participate in Mass, whether you go to Mass every Sunday or whether you're a daily Mass goer, well, see if it's um, helped you to really engage more with the liturgy because that's really my hope. You know, a lot of people talk about the fact that um, uh, sometimes the, the Mass is a little boring for them, but I think that's because they don't know how to engage with it. Sometimes they don't know how to plug into the the transcendence of what's going on. So I hope my book, if you take it in those small doses, little by little, it's going to help you to open up more to all the transcendence and all the ways that you can engage in the mass to draw more spiritual fruit out of it.
0: Mm -hmm. So I was going to comment that the the preface section actually is probably my uh, favorite section in just from the perspective that first of all, you help us have orientation that it is the priest kind of praying with the faithful, Um, reflecting on the particular seasonal moment that we're passing through and just to kind of see the richness of how many prefaces you get to choose from so the normal order of the mass is more familiar and we kind of are more uh, yeah able to um, locate ourselves and where we are and kind of we're, we're more accustomed to so just the richness of exploring uh, the meat or the kind of the, the prayerful dispositions and attitudes that the prefaces offer. So a question I have is that um, I know that there's typical liturgical seasons where it's it's highly suggested, encouraged and required, but are there moments where you get to kind of choose whatever preface you would like to, to pray and likewise um, with the Eucharistic prayers?
1: Well, yes, actually, um, some of the prefaces that are there—they are prefaces that you can use in masses at other times of the year. There's sort of there's sort of strong liturgical seasons in which case the prefaces prescribed. For example, right now, throughout Holy Week, the uh, and Easter as well, Easter Sunday and things like that. Basically, the whole octave of Easter, um, you're supposed to focus on the prayers for the liturgical season. But let's say, for example, ordinary time in a couple of months. Uh, after Pentecost, we'll return to the surgical season that we call ordinary time. And there's sort of a cycle of prefaces that are used, but you can also say um, various kinds of masses for uh, various occasions and needs, or for example, you can say a mass of, uh, basically a vote of massive devotion to the Eucharist. And in those cases, you can pick other prefaces as well. And some of those prefaces that you use are those uh, prefaces that I I mentioned in the book. There's, I don't have every single preface in it, but I have a a pretty big chunk of them. Mm
0: -hmm. As you mentioned, it's kind of extraordinary times that we find ourselves in and to be kind of um, releasing a book that is around one of the central aspects of our faith. And it's the one thing that we're growing in a deeper desire for being able to participate in, and again, as, as, a, as a community, uh, a lot of us, and I'm actually being really impressed to see just how much more people are engaged in the habit of daily mass through the virtual realm, with a lot of live streamings, and the and so it, I would imagine there are a lot of, well, I'm praying for, I've heard of a couple of cases where people have kind of come back to seeing the beauty of the mass just because it's been made more accessible and so i think a book like this could be something very helpful for um, re-engaging reigniting or introducing someone to uh, being able to have an experience or not helping someone to know how to live the mass more fully um, that kind of overcomes maybe some of those prejudices or some of those um, things that we hear you know the mass is boring or i get distracted Um, this could be um, a really wonderful resource to to kind of dispel some of those obstacles or misunderstandings of what's going on um, in the Mass. So that's going to be my prayer. My prayer is going to be that uh, many more are going to be intrigued to want to come back to enjoy the celebration and um, understand the beauty of the Mass um, from from this experience of being denied the opportunity right now. Father, had a couple of other questions before uh, we ask um, anyone in the audience if they have anything they'd like to ask. Feel free to, to mention that in the chat, or um, we can go around in a moment and um, you can unmute yourself and, and ask your question. So, um, what is the experience, I know um, we often hear that, uh, you know, in this book it also, you know, kind of shares with us and talks to us about how we should be engaging and participating in the mass. Um, what is it for you to kind of experience celebrating the Mass and and how do you um, prepare and how do you live the Mass um, yourself, knowing that you get the opportunity of doing that every day?
1: Wow, we only have 35 minutes to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was a a speech to a Eucharistic Congress that St. John Paul II said years ago. I I don't think I ever even found the specific Eucharistic Congress in which he said it. But he talked about the fact that when he went into the chapel just to make a visit to the eucharist he felt that he brought the intentions of the whole world with him mm-hmm. and um, it was well known that in his private chapel in the vatican he had a big stack of papers of all the people who had asked him for prayers mm-hmm. so um when we celebrate a mass we typically celebrate the mass for one specific intention but frankly we don't just celebrate it for that intention i mean if you look at all of the prayers in the liturgy there are petitions for all kinds of things for the not just for the church but for the world, mm-hmm. so I'm very aware of that as I'm preferring the liturgy. I'm very aware of the fact that I'm going to be celebrating the mass not just for me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be celebrating the mass to a certain degree, usually for some specific circumstance, some specific person or some specific group of people, which is kind of like considered the main intention, but at the same time through the prayers. I'm offering up the sacrifice of our Lord for not only the church, but the world. And in a certain sense, the church is a priestly people in the sense that the church as a whole, you know, with its ministerial priests and its bishops at the head, is offering up prayers and sacrifices for the entire world. So I'm very cognizant of that when I get ready for Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be very recollected during Mass. In the sense that i try to spend some time in silence before as i'm getting ready there's some beautiful prayers uh there's actually a prayer that you say uh before you're going to get ready for mass as a priest there are certain prayers we say when we put each vestment on to get ready but i see it as uh, really that privileged moment of encounter with our lord Um, for me when i celebrate mass you know when the liturgy of the readings come around well Backing up a little bit, um, the penitential rite, for example, uh, it's a reminder not only of my frailty, just like the frailty of all of us as believers. You know, if anybody wonders whether they're a sinner or not, just remember the penitential rite that you say at the start of every Mass, you know, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. But also the great power of God's mercy, that in that moment, He gives us the grace to really worthily participate in that celebration of the liturgy. And then meditating on the word of God, uh, the readings, it's like, well, I know God has things to say. He says things through scripture, but what is he saying to me today?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in slight contrast to that, uh, when I'm you know, celebrating with the faithful uh, and live streaming, obviously, we're still doing our homilies as well. What do I think our Lord is trying to tell them today? So I have to think about both of those things at the same time. Sometimes it's not necessarily the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because people are a different level of their spiritual journey, okay? Um, And then when the Eucharist comes up, I mean, that was, to be honest, the moment that I aspired for so deeply as I was preparing to be a priest. The fact that one day I was going to say some prayers, and Jesus in sacramental, sacramental was going to come down into my hands. He was going to deign, he was going to condescend to come down into my hands, and so I still kind of get goosebumps a little bit whenever I do the moment of the consecration because of that. And I also think about the beauty of when that sac- that sacrifice comes down, the sacrifice of our Lord that we offer over and over again to the Father, that there are so many things that we offer up that sacrifice for. Uh, just look at my meditations in meditate in maximizing the Mass on the Eucharistic prayers of all the different kinds of petitions that are made. And I feel that very deeply uh, to, to offer the sacrifice for that when I'm participating with the faithful um, to be able to give them Holy Communion, but also the beauty of receiving Holy Communion myself and knowing that, you know, they say you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. But in this sense, I'm being transformed into Christ if I'm worthily receiving him in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And then that moment after communion as well, where I really have my list of uh, intentions that I go through And I mean, really, if you would summarize it, I mean, I think about everybody, I can't think of everybody by name, at least, but I have sort of my standard list of intentions and people that I offer up my mass for. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just a real beautiful experience, because I realize, as a priest that I have a very special uh, vocation, a special gift of mediation for the world, and what a joy it is to be able to bring the Lord, not only his word, you know, through preaching and through reading the gospel and things like that, but bringing him sacramentally to the faithful, giving, being able to give Jesus to others in such a profound sacramental way. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you for your love for your vocation. Thank you for your priestly vocation. Um, Thank you for giving us the greatest gift, which is everything that we could, we could want and need. Uh, that is Jesus in the, in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, so I do have a couple of questions, but if uh, anyone else has any other questions um, they want to put in the chat there, you can see, um, feel free to um, do that. And uh, if not, you're more than welcome to, to um, take off your video and microphone and, and you can um, ask a question. Um, I have a question here that is, Father Nicola, what is your favorite prayer in the liturgy? Do you have a favorite prayer?
1: Oh, my favorite prayer. Wow. Um, Short prayer, I would say the Our Father. I have to say that by the time I get to the Our Father, um, I, I really try to say it with all my heart because it summarizes so many of the basic petitions and needs and really obligations that we should do and obviously, since it's the lord's prayer he taught it to us that's my favorite shortest one mm-hmm. my favorite longer one is eucharistic prayer one mm-hmm. uh the roman canon we don't often pray it as often as we usually reserve it for like big feast days solemnities like easter sunday and christmas day and things like that but it just represents a uh, a richness especially in the roman liturgical tradition of so many centuries it's believed to have been composed in the fourth century mm-hmm. as a roman composition as opposed to being translated from another language because some of the other eucharistic prayers came mm-hmm. from greek
0: mm-hmm. so uh
1: really being a priest of the roman rite, uh that's a really beautiful prayer that i always uh, i always really uh draw a lot of spiritual fruit from when i say it
0: mm-hmm. um well thank you for helping us have a deeper appreciation for um you see, preface number one usually comes around on the Sundays, right?
1: Or yeah, usually on Sundays on prayer. the big feast days. Mm-hmm. Although to be fair, I know I've I visited a lot of parishes where on Sundays they have Eucharistic Prayer Three. Mm-hmm. That was why I ended up putting that in the meditative walk of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eucharistic Prayer One at least comes up on on the the big solemnities, like the big Sundays, like Easter Sunday and Christmas Day and things like
0: that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So well, here's um a question, Brother, um, for you. Father, what is your favorite book?
1: Oh gosh. Well, you know, the we quick- can
0: give you three. I mean, we can we can put in we can put in brackets S and you, you can have three, three books.
1: Okay. Yeah, because obviously Sacred Scripture is the first book. It's, you know, it's like okay. <laughs> and you're an academic, so I would have got yeah, I would have got, 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 so, got out so I would have got so easily if I just oh yeah, sacred scripture, next. <laughs> yeah. Um wow because you know i can talk about the liturgical books and things like that there's one book that i really liked um it's called the wellspring of worship if we're talking about liturgical books for example that i really got a lot out of um mm-hmm. it was written by uh, a monk it has some beautiful meditations for a deeper contemplation of liturgy i really uh, that was really a good read of that book i enjoyed reading that book mm-hmm. okay um on a little less uh let's say spiritual theological level uh tolkien Mm -hmm. basically i can't just pick one of the books but for example if i had to pick one of the books i'd say the hobbit because that's the first one Mm -hmm. because uh it was just a beautiful tale and the background of it as well is really beautiful because he originally you know wrote that to tell those stories to his kids Mm -hmm. so it was really beautiful you can see the love of a father reflected in that i think in terms of literature being genre uh being genre literature like fiction some literati kind of look down their noses at things like that but i'm i'm convinced that tolkien is one of the greatest english authors of the 20th century
0: Mm -hmm. so father i'm um appreciating too that listening this evening we have some of us who have grown up with the mass and it's just been a part of our catholic tradition it's been a part of our faith experience um i remember growing up in australia you know the number of rosaries was to determine how far away the church was on Sunday, to know which mass we were going to. So, you know, if we were traveling for half an hour, it was a good rosary. And if we had to travel further than that, it was like two rosaries. But for some on on our conversation this evening, um, it's it's a newer experience, um, understanding the Mass. And so for someone who is a newer Catholic, um, in our conversation just now, we've been talking um, a lot about meditation, like deepening, like that meditative walk, um, growing in um, more of a an experience of meditating on what we're experiencing. Would you mind just explaining a little bit more to someone who is newer in the faith what we're meaning by by meditation?
1: Oh, meditation in general.
0: Um, I think meditation in general, and also kind of meditation in the sense of like kind of the disposition of which we're in, you know when we're talking about engaging the heart mm-hmm. and the mind in the liturgical experience too of the mass.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's interesting that um, spoken prayers. There's a priest once who who, who told me and i think you really said it well is that the purpose of spoken prayers in the sense that prayers that have been written that we recite and things like that they're kind of to teach us how we should pray so they're always meant to kind of give us food for thought they're meant to um, spur us so that we can start putting our own prayers in our own words Mm -hmm. and little by little is to help us make that click and i'm hoping my book helps to make that click on the liturgy to realize that um prayer is ultimately conversation with god it's contemplating things with god in the light of god and his revelation Mm -hmm. it's opening our hearts to the holy spirit maybe giving us some insight into something that we didn't necessarily have before Mm -hmm. you can make a spoken prayer a contemplative prayer you know Mm -hmm. rosarium virginis mariae on the rosary that saint Saint john paul ii wrote he talked about a contemplative rosary whereas you're praying the rosary you're contemplating the mysteries of of Christ's life, you're imagining them, you're going over them in your mind, you're asking the Blessed Mother to help you to understand her son better through that contemplation. But eventually, as you grow in the spiritual life, it gets to the point where it's simply um, learning to seek out and foster that interior attitude, that awareness of God's presence, and sort of invite him in to start Mm -hmm. contemplating things contemplating your life contemplating your decisions and really putting your heart and mind into that so that you realize that it's not just that i'm making a decision about something it's that i'm asking our lord what would be pleasing to him as well and meditation is really about that um the uh it's interesting the the rite of ordination once you're ordained a priest right after that one of the rites is they hand you formally a chalice and they say meditate on what you're doing, hmm. and that's true about so many things in the liturgy. Because I kind of think when we're participating in the liturgy, many times we have two channels. Um, you know, people all the time ask me for advice of what to do if they get distracted in the liturgy and things like that. And I always, what I encourage them to do is that if you start going off track, the most important thing is that even as all those prayers are going on and things, keep the conversation with Jesus. At the start in the penitential rite, tell him you're sorry for your sins. Ask him when you're listening to the readings or whatever Lord, what are you trying to say to me today? But above all, talking to him and telling him how excited you are about getting ready for that encounter with him in Holy Communion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then once you do receive him in Holy Communion, spending the time of silence after communion and things, just talking to him heart to heart about whatever is going on. So, really, meditation is taking a step back taking a step back and little by little forming that habit of just talking to our Lord in your heart about whatever is going on, but also forming the capacity to listen as well mm-hmm. so that he can start and get an urge, uh, uh, a word in edgewise. Because sometimes even when we're praying devotions and things, we, we always face that risk of falling into autopilot and just blurting them out
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not making them that meditative or contemplative prayer that they could be.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really beautiful answer, um, in that we are uh, oftentimes participating by vocal prayers that we're praying uh, in in community, and um, so one of the things that I think, not only are we missing the physical presence of being with our Lord um, in these days, but another element that we're missing um, and kind of pining for is we're, we're not in community, we're not with other people. And some um, someone was asking a question here. Jody was asking a question, Father. For do you have any other further tips to trying to further engage and maximize the mass as we're participating virtually, where we're um, kind of watching it, um, but it's uh, we're kind of missing also that aspect of being in community with others as well.
1: Well, thank you, Jody, for asking that question as well, because I did want to speak a little bit to that, because I know that, I, and I wanted to make a point of saying is like. Uh, to a certain extent, forgive the expression, I feel your pain Mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm still offering the sacrifice of the mass every day for all of you and for all of your intentions and things. And obviously I'm still receiving communion as part of that participation in mass. But I realize how that hunger for the Eucharist again, um, all of the faithful, this is a Lent that they would have never expected in terms of really an imposed penance, if you will, an imposed penitential sacrifice of not being able to receive the Eucharist. So um, I'm glad that we have this opportunity to live stream masses. Our parish is live streaming a mass every day and a couple of days a week in Spanish so that people can, um, it is an opportunity as we already talked about to kind of meditate a little bit on the parts of mass because we're not participating in it physically directly. But what I encourage people to do is uh, I mentioned how as a church, we're uh, considered uh, a kingdom of priests. That's an expression that was taken from the Old Testament and brought into the New Testament, that we are a priestly people. Well, what's the difference between we as a priestly people through baptism and the ministerial priests, like myself, receive the sacrament of holy orders and the bishops? It's we offer the sacrifice, the sacramental sacrifice of our Lord, and we continue to do that even in these times obviously without the participation of the faithful, the direct physical participation of the faithful right now. But independently of where the faithful, whether they are situated in that same space of worship or not, well, everyone is invited to carry out spiritual worship as part of the priestly people of God. And that basically means your life to the degree that you try to celebrate it in a holy manner, in a way that's pleasing to God, your prayers, your sacrifices, even when you come to Mass uh, outside of these circumstances, you place those sacrifices on the patent alongside the host that's going to become Jesus. And so as the priest is offering up the one pleasing sacrifice to the Heavenly Father, which is Jesus, sacramentally present through the bread and the wine, under the species of bread and wine, well, the same token, you guys are kind of along for the ride. Whether you're directly participating in it or not. And that's something that you can still do even in the live streaming. Uh, Because when the live streaming comes, you know, granted, there's a slight, you know, micro delay between it. But as the priest is saying, you know, take this, all of you, and eat of it, this is my body, which is given up for you. And he brings it down and he genuflects. Well, that's your moment to start spiritually dogpiling stuff on that patent alongside the host, right? Mm -hmm. Because toward the end of that, the elevation comes and we're literally. When you see from that moment on in the Eucharistic prayer, and I had some reflections obviously in my book about that, you realize that from then on it's like the sacrifice is present and we are offering up that sacrifice and we're making petitions for all kinds of things, for the unity of Christians throughout the world, for the conversion of sinners, for so many things. And we're doing that because now we have the sacrifice present on the altar that we're offering up for that. So you all have the opportunity, even when you're not able to directly participate in that liturgy, to spiritually unite yourselves to that through a live stream mass, for example. And don't be afraid about dogpiling on all those intentions, because believe it or not, the merits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross are infinite. You can put as many prayer intentions in there as you want um, and do so, because he's got room. God does the heavy lifting here, Okay. And um, one thing that that Lucy mentioned that I want to speak to about the fact is that, you know, physically we are separated now, but communion goes much deeper than physical proximity, right? Because communion is with God and with each other. So the more we try and draw in our hearts into communion with our Lord, just like if a bunch of people start walking toward the same person, they logically start walking toward each other in the same way through our communion, we are spiritually united wherever we are. And so our prayers and our sacrifices don't just benefit ourselves. They benefit the entire mystical body of Christ that we believe we've become by baptism. We've all been incorporated into his mystical body. And especially in the celebration of the Eucharist, when the priest who acts in the person of Christ, the head, offers up the sacrifice, the sacramental sacrifice of Christ himself, for all of those intentions and things, and we unite ourselves to
0: that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that um, beautiful, like reminder of what our faith tells us. Um, that is kind of a, a consolation and an encouragement because it's it's very easy to get sad. It is um, very easy to get um, to feel loneliness, um, and at times even be really disappointed and um, confused. By you know why we're being um, denied right now, but to have that um, attitude of faith. I remember my um, my dad. My father lived in Australia, and on our month on our monthly phone call, one a yeah, monthly phone calls when I was back here in the states, he would always say, "I'll see you at mass on Sunday," and just kind of that reminder of no matter where we are. And I just noticed uh, someone was thanking you for your service there at uh, Saint Brendan. So in that spirit of knowing that we are always united, um, walking toward Christ and in Christ that no matter where our next um, missions and our travels take us that we can always find each other um, in the heart of Jesus. So uh, thank you for that beautiful reminder of uh, living with that disposition. Um, Sandy also just asked Father she said um, she's been very much enjoying the daily masses from um, the rectory each day and was asking if you've heard if people who are enjoying and kind of probably making more time and having a habit of uh, going to mass virtually each day, have, have you heard of anyone is starting to become or is interested in becoming a daily communicant as a result?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting, the phenomena, you know, I wonder whether people are tuning in more because they're shut up in their homes from stay at home orders or because there's a certain amount of overhead that's eliminated in being able to participate in the mass, you know? Normally when you go to the mass, let's say you're a daily community, for example, it's like, okay, I gotta get up. Do I have breakfast before or after? Do I get up early enough to have my coffee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Gotta get in the car. How much of a drive is it to the parish? How much of a drive is it back? You know, if I'm still working, it's like, okay, can I squeeze in time for this for work? Whereas, you know, with the live streaming, it's like, click, click. I mean, even theoretically, if you're working, I'm not telling people to do this, you know, cause I don't want you to get fired, but you know, theoretically you could even have that live stream in the corner of your monitor going as you're doing your work, right? As Long as it doesn't distract you too much from your work. Um, so uh, really the irony, the situation that we're living is, uh, you know, I've, you know, there's been some comments on the live streaming masses on, because we do ours on Facebook and then people can access it through our website they've been very appreciative for it. Um, you know, so there's a hunger for the Eucharist. And I think it goes beyond just the our ordinary daily communicants that we had that went to daily mass. But in the same token too, I have to be honest, um, because of the stay at home order and all that, it's not that I'm talking very much with the faithful right now. You know, because we don't have that experience of community where we're kind of hanging out after mass and Talking about things and stuff like that, so I haven't had anybody yet that says, you know, I've seen the light. I'm going to start going to mass every day after this. That has not happened, but that doesn't mean that there's not somebody out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's kind of it'll be interesting to kind of see that kind of what that reentry is, um, and uh, kind of after crisis, it always kind of draws us back to that which is essential. And um, so, just kind of praying for all of those that really are having this opportunity of enjoying or kind of experiencing the beauty of the mass that it be something that sustains them to become a daily you know daily habit a daily um, or at least that kind of daily time for god whether it can be going to mass regularly or at least taking that time for the daily prayer
1: yeah and speaking to that point for a second lucy that reminds me of one more thing you know before um basically in our die in our diocese and a lot of dioceses they no longer had the public masses we had one weekend where the bishop just um he dispensed from the obligation of attending mass so our numbers were a little lower but i was really amazed how moved i was because at the start of all my masses that weekend i said you know i want you to know how grateful i am to be celebrating the mass with you all right now Mm -hmm. and that made me reflect as you were speaking lucy on the fact as well is that when the day comes where we can get together at the parish for mass again it is going to be such a moving experience, mm-hmm. such a moving experience. And I think it's gonna reach well beyond the people who are regular mass goers on Sundays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps this absence, you know, the expression says absence makes the heart go fo- grow fonder. Mm-hmm. Perhaps this absence from being in the sacramental presence of our Lord is really gonna help people to appreciate more how they they need to not only be in his presence through adoration and things like that, but actually receive him. Mm-hmm through part, uh, through communion and participating in the liturgy.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Father, there's um, just a few other comments. Um, I don't see any other questions. So if um, if there are any other questions, by all means, please um, put them in the chat. There was
1: um, one quick question. Have you read the Screw Tape Letters? Yes. And I enjoyed that book. That's a good book.
0: (laughs) Great. I'm glad you caught that. (laughs) Um, uh, But a number of comments just saying thank you. and also mentioning how much it's uh, reading the Lenten preferences as um, meditations has helped them, especially during this time. So as we mentioned, kind of no coincidence that we are living the darkness of, of Holy Week, um, very much like united with our Lord uh, during this time. So another question just came in. Um, Father, do you remember, still remember the first Mass that you celebrated? And do you have any reflections on that Mass or any Masses since then that stood out to you?
1: Well, I remember my first Mass very well because it was it was really beautiful. Uh, My first Mass, now granted in my ordination, theoretically from the second part of the Mass on, I was celebrating that Mass, but that doesn't exactly count. Uh, Mm -hmm. Though I will say that there was one thing I reflected on. Um, Since it was a Concelebration, uh, I was standing at the altar and it just struck me uh, as we were all saying the words of consecration together that all of a sudden I was sacramentally surrounded by Jesus because it was a big celebration. It was the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. So we had a bunch of chivori on the altars, a lot of chalices with the precious blood. The, the altar was full of them because we were going to be giving it out to all the people who had been participating in the ordination. Mm-hmm. But my first Mass was actually the next day. I was in Rome at the time, I was ordained a priest in Rome. And I went to St. Peter's, and there is an altar called the Altar of the Gregorian Virgin. And that's because uh, in that altar, there was a relic of St. Gregory, um, I don't, I think it was St. Gregory Nazianzen, it's not there now because I believe they returned it to the Eastern Church as an ecumenical gesture or something, but it's called the Gregorian altar. And I'd wanted to celebrate at that altar for a long time. So um, it was a very small little intimate mass, my family who had come for the ordination was there, which there's about a dozen members of my family who were attending and um, the brothers of my section where I had been uh, studying theology. So there was about 40 or 50 of us. And I knew from the moment uh, I was gonna celebrate my first mass, what I always wanted to do is in the moment of the elevation of the host and the moment of the elevation of the chalice, I wanted to um, do, for, for the first, I wanted to do part of um, the prayer adorote Devote. By Thomas Aquinas. There's a part of that hymn where he says visus gustus tactus inte sed sole auditus tu te creditor, which basically, okay, I realize I just said it in Latin. I'm not falling into tongues. I'm not charismatic that way. Um, but what is, it's talking about the fact that looking at the Eucharist, all your senses deceive you that Jesus is there, but your faith tells you that Jesus is there that Jesus just came down into my hands. That is the single most profound experience of my first mass because as I already mentioned earlier, even as I was a seminarian and getting ready in every mass I participated in, I looked at that moment of the consecration and elevation and I was waiting for the day when I would do it myself. And so it was beautiful. And I'll tell you, frankly, it was practically an out-of-body experience the first time I celebrated my mass in the sense that we normally have a priest who can celebrate with us or simply is sort of a master of ceremonies with us to make sure that our emotion our excitement means we don't mess anything up. So um, that day it was just seventh heaven, seventh heaven as I was celebrating it. The next day uh, I had a mass in the house at, at our center. I mean house, it was a center for about 400 brothers who were studying philosophy and theology. And then I came down a little bit and I was a little more nervous. But um, but it was really, it was a beautiful experience. And for me, that's probably still the most intense moment of mass that's always stuck with me, is that moment of the elevation. When I say those words of St. Thomas, uh, usually after the elevation of the chalice, I pray the anima Christi, you know, soul of Christ, sanctify me, body of Christ, save me. Because I know I leave it up a little longer than you might see other priests do. And I realize if I didn't have some little prayer to kind of time it a little bit, I could be there for five or 10 minutes and people would start to get nervous because they do start to get nervous. And the other thing that struck me um, when I first celebrated it, there was a a bishop who was, he was one of my instructors in the university. And after I was ordained, he asked to talk to me and he said, I'm going to tell you what Pius XI told a newly ordained priest. May your first mass be your least fervent one. Hmm. And so he meant to say, it's like, don't lose the fervor and keep building the fervor. Now I keep trying to do that. If there's one thing I can say about my experience of mass is you have good days and bad days in everything that you do, just like everyone else. I've come to mass with joy. I've come to mass with tears, but I have always tried within my limitations as a fragile human being to live the mass with as much, if not more fervor than I did the first time I celebrated it because that's not just my effort. I think there's a little bit of grace in there as well. So I'm very grateful that our Lord has helped me to do that.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. Father, thank you for sharing that. And uh, hopefully, you know, with maximizing the mass, that will be the case, that every mass becomes uh, more fervent from the, the one before. Father Hinn, um, I can you share what are you working on right now? What are your next projects?
1: Ah, Well, I'm actually also working on a class, an online course on liturgy and the sacraments for RC Spirituality. I'm not sure yet which quarter it's gonna be released in. It'll be released uh, sometime this year. So uh, I'm really excited about that. You know, I'm the online class manager. So sometimes I'm, I'm helping in the production of other courses, more the technical part of it. We just released a, a course by a consecrated woman, uh, Jennifer Ristine on the Creed called What We Profess. That's really beautiful. So I'm working on that um, for, RC, for RC Spirituality. Um, And then for some of my other projects, not directly related with R.C. Spirituality, I'm doing a translation of a uh, theology book into English that will probably be published by the end of the year. And I have one or two um, more, not really academic writing projects, Mm -hmm. but it's a little premature to announce what I'm working on. I have the material compiled, kind of like I have the material compiled to prepare maximizing the mass. So I hope to have at least one of them published by the end of the year. And I'm not sure yet, based on the material, whether it's going to be one volume or two or three volumes. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Mm
0: -hmm. So this has been, um, you've been now at St. Brendan's for two years?
1: Uh, In June, it would be three years.
0: Three years. So um, probably that pastoral experience, too, where you've been bringing the Eucharist and been celebrating Mass, probably in a variety of scenarios for various needs, probably it's very much enriched your priesthood. Um,
1: oh, yeah. So the, the celebration of the Eucharist with the faithful is always beautiful. I mean, even even when, uh, as a professor, there were many times where I would celebrate the Eucharist because I didn't, there wasn't a need for me to celebrate the Eucharist with the faithful. So I would be down at a private altar with maybe a brother as my altar server or something. But you really feel the difference when you celebrate with the people.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: there's, there's an electricity that goes through you, so to speak, for lack of a better word. And that's been that's been a real beautiful experience. And these three years at St. Brendan's has been the first time where I've had a prolonged parochial pastoral experience in the same place. Because I would pop around all over the place and pitch in once in a while at a parish or something. But it's a little different when you're actually having daily mass. Not I didn't do celebrate mass at the parish every day, but especially every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, celebrating mass with the faithful. And that was a real beautiful experience. And then alongside that, touching on the experience of the Eucharist, which I didn't have many occasions to do it before, was visiting the sick, Mm -hmm. uh, bringing bringing the Eucharist to the sick and the dying. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'd never before I came to St. Brendan's administered the Eucharist as viaticum. We call it viaticum when we give it to somebody who's dying because Mm -hmm. viaticum literally means something for the journey Mm -hmm. because we believe we need to send them off nourished by the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. to get ready for their definitive encounter with our Lord. And that's been a very beautiful experience.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, Father, we're really grateful to you for um, putting all of your experience and also your um, gift of of, work, of, of of writing to put together this book. So um, we can anyone interested in learning more, they can go to rcspirituality.org. And um, I know that you probably have a suggestion or two too for how to enter into this Um, Holy Week uh, as well, preparing for, kind of living the liturgy again in a a very unique way.
1: Uh, Are you asking?
0: Yeah, I am asking. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I just didn't give the intonation.
1: uh, I didn't hear (laughs) the intonation. So, you know, this actually is, this week is one of the most liturgically beautiful weeks of, of the entire year. Actually, every Sunday in the year is modeled around Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is considered the feast of feasts, the liturgy of liturgy, even in comparison to something like Christmas, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, it's really beautiful, even if you can't, uh, we're going to be live streaming, but obviously it's going to be very reduced. We're going to be live streaming Holy Thursday, the evening mass of the Lord's Supper, the commemoration of the Lord's Passion, and the Easter Vigil. But I invite you to, um, if you have uh, one of those small hand missiles or something, go through all the beautiful rites and rituals and special things that we're doing during this time. Mm -hmm. And they're all sort of reflecting the mysteries that Christ is living in this moment. Now, because of our limitations, some of those parts, we're not going to be doing them this year because of everything we're facing with the coronavirus and things like that. But I encourage you to look at the symbolism there. Um, Maximizing Mass, I have to be honest, when I talked about liturgical seasons, it was very general. And it was all about the ordinary prayers. It's the prayers that we basically say every time we participate in Mass. But the specific prayers for specific feasts, like Holy Thursday, or for the commemoration of the Lord's Passions, those are also a beautiful fount of meditation as well. So I hope that reading this book a little bit and seeing some meditations on these prayers may help you to do your own meditations on those prayers when specific feast days come around, like the Feast of the Ascension or Pentecost or Christmas Day or Feasts of Mary and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, And also on rcspirituality.org, that's where you can find Father Nicola as a regular, um, if you don't get to see him on a daily basis um, at the moment. So um, we're very grateful, Father, for for taking his time. Thank you to everyone for spending an hour with us. Um, really appreciate it with all of the different ways we're connecting virtually. We're just very grateful that you could make us a part of your, your evening. Uh, Father, would you mind just uh, concluding us um, with a prayer and, and we'll say good evening.
1: All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give you thanks for all your gifts, Almighty God, living and reigning now and forever. Amen. Christ our King, thy kingdom come, Virgin Most Prudent, Mary Mother of the Church, Pray for us in the name of the Father.